Oh, good morning. Wow, you'd have a hard time knowing by how beautiful it is outside that we had a flood this week, right? <laughs> I think I heard, what, 10 and a half inches? Is that right? And I'm glad those of you in West Wichita were able to paddle over here this morning. Um, actually, it was Friday morning, and the, just the rain was coming down in buckets, and I had to have a couple of tires replaced on my car. So I went down to the to shop close to my house and, and got the tires, and the guy who was there, he knew I was a, a pastor. And so, you know, with the rain falling, it just looked like a good line on his part to say, what are you preaching about this weekend? I guess you're going to be talking about Noah, right? <laughs> now... I've always been the kind of guy, you ask me a straight question, you get a straight answer. So I said, actually, no, I'm going to be talking about, I didn't think I was going to sound. I said, I'm going to be talking about sex. (laughs) And I am. Our series is called Pillow Talk, and it's five secrets to sex and love. And and, and I said last week that the, the reason why I chose the word secrets is that our culture talks a lot about sex And a lot of the stuff that we get from the culture is misinformation, wrong information, hurtful information. And then on the other hand, the church, of course, is the organ of God's communication. The church just gets silent. I mean, we have duct tape over our mouth when it comes to sex. And it's really crazy that we are that way because it was God who invented sex. The Bible talks a lot about sex. And I said last weekend, you know, there's hot and steamy sex between a committed man and wife in the book of Song of Solomon. And then the Bible talks to us about how bad sex can be when it gets outside the lanes. And in every, just about every deviant kind of sex you can imagine is in, in the Bible and God telling, telling us what happens if we get on the wrong track. This morning, though, I want to uncover one of those secrets. And it's a, a very important secret to every person who is married or will be married someday. And, and the secret is this. Are you ready for this? Because I, I talk to a lot of people today, and when they, when they tell me about what's going on in their lives, especially if there's sexual issues in their marriage, they'll tell me something like, man, our sex life is just wretched. You know, either there is no sex or, or what's there makes the, peop- the husband and wife, the wife or the husband, feel really bad. It's like I'm giving my body to this person, and yet the way he makes me feel, the way she makes me feel, it's just awful. And so... You know, the answer to a question like that is not where our culture usually looks for answers. I mean, you know, you can't go to prescription, get to the, go to the pharmacy and get a prescription for some sort of enhancement drug that's going to help you with that problem. Or it's not learning new techniques or learning new positions. That, that is a problem that's on the inside. And so today I want to I share with you a secret that I think many people miss today when it comes to sex. And even many Christians, many Christian married people are totally miss this. And especially if their sex life is not what they want it to be, it's amazing how we'll look to other answers before we understand this one. And so are you ready for the secret? If you're writing today, you might want to cover your paper or whatever, because here's the secret. It goes like this. Great sex happens in a garden. Okay. That is the secret. Great sex happens in a garden. And I hope you'll stay for the entire message to find out exactly what it is that I'm going to be talking about. Um, I think one of the real problems, one of the fundamental issues when it comes to sex is just a misunderstanding of how different the genders are and how God made us, how God wired us, and what it is exactly that we're after. I think I shared this last year in Love Affair. 
I was listening to a Christian psychologist who had written many books, and he said he had studied women for years. He had written books about women. He'd interviewed thousands of women. He said, after writing all these books and giving all these talks, he said, I only have one question. What do they want? <laughs> and, and so we struggle with that. You know, women have a hard time understanding men, and men have a hard time understanding women. And so let me just, right out of the box, let me just make a, a, a blanket statement that is so true. There's not a woman here who understands how a man thinks. You may think you do, but you don't. There's not a man here who understands how a woman thinks. Don't tell me you've read this book or been to this seminar. At the end of the day, I'm going to tell you, there's not a woman alive who understands how a man thinks, and there's not a man alive who truly understands how a woman thinks. Here's the deal. God has tuned us to different keys. Up on the stage, there are musical instruments. And what's interesting about musical instruments is you know, they're, they're tuned to different keys. I, I grew up and went to college playing trumpet. Trumpet's a B-flat instrument, you know, but a piano is a C instrument. They're just tuned to different keys. And here's the deal. What is C to me, if I'm playing with a piano, is not C to a piano because we're in different keys. And that's often the struggle between men and women. They're, we're just tuned to different keys. And what looks real easy for us as men seems very strange to a woman and vice versa. And there's probably no issue that this comes out to be more true than when it comes to sex. Now, here's the deal. The question is, are we going to let the Bible tell us the truth about the genders? Because here's the thing. Men need something more than women need that same thing. And women need something more than men need that same thing. And here's how the Bible puts it, just in real simple terms, being ADHD. I'm so thankful the Bible is simple on this because I cannot handle lists. Okay, here we go. Ephesians 5.33, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So that's it. And by the way, when the Bible means love, it's not talking about, yeah, being a great lover and a, you know, a real, you know, real you know, hot hunk. That's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible is talking about the kind of love that Scripture it talks about, which is basically this, and I'm going to get it down to one sentence. It is sacrificing yourself for someone else. Husbands are told to love their wives. There are two metaphors that the Bible uses in the book of Ephesians. You just saw one of them. Husbands, love your wives like you love yourselves. And then just in case, you know, all of us men have this accomplishment thing going, just in case we think we get to that place where we actually do love our wives as much as we love ourselves, God says, oh, by the way, one more thing. Love your wife as Jesus loved us. On your best day, on your best day, you will not love your wife as much as Jesus loved us. Remember, he walked up a hill with a cross on his back after being beaten half to death and lay there on that cross, let men nail nails in his hands and his feet, and hung there for six hours. That is somewhat worse than when your wife tells you something you don't want to hear. Right? And here's the thing. It says that the number one need of a man is respect. And some woman here could say, well, I tell you, my husband just has this male ego thing going on, and it drives me crazy. Well, you need to understand that that desire for confidence is something that God has placed within him. Now, why don't we do that naturally? You notice I just assumed that we didn't, and it, it, obviously we don't. Why doesn't that come natural. 
Because, see, here's the thing. I think the reason why a lot of people, a lot of couples don't have great sex is not because they haven't found, you know, the right candle. It's not because they haven't tried the right pharmaceutical or they haven't learned the right information. I think the primary reason why so many people don't have great sex is they don't understand this fundamental truth that what God wants to see in a relationship is a man who loves his wife and a wife who respects her husband and there, and let me tell you what that creates. And this is the reason why I chose the term garden. It creates a climate of pleasantness. Pleasantness. Don't you think our world is, especially we Americans, don't you think we are starved for pleasantness? I mean, people joke about Norman Rockwell's paintings and stuff. But one of the things I love about Rockwell's paintings is they are pleasant. And today it's like, how much can we scream at each other? How much can we flip each other off? How much can we pour out our wrath and invective on other people? And it's just part of our culture. And it is messing up our marriages. Why don't we do what should come natural? Let me take you back to the very first man and woman in the Bible because that is the last time anybody ever had perfect sex. No idea what perfect sex means, but I know that Adam and Eve had it in the garden. Bible tells us about creation. In, in Scripture says that it went like this, that God spoke the world into existence, and then he started a creative act, on, and he just kept creating. And, and each day, when God would make something, he would say, it's good, it's good, it's good. He would always do his pronouncement, it's good. And then finally, God sculpted, or actually the Hebrew word is molded, like you would press into a mold. He sculpted Adam out of the dust of the earth. And then he blew into Adam's nostrils, and the thing happened that made human beings of infinite worth. God blew his breath into Adam, and the Bible says Adam became a living, and by extension, eternal human person with a spirit. Now, when God brought Adam out, he said, Adam, here's the deal. You're going to be my vice regent. I want you to run this place. I am turning the world over to you. I want you to name all the animals. And Adam did, which is pretty impressive because when I think back on, you know, my science classes and biology classes, I can't remember even what all that kingdom, phylum, subphylum, all that stuff. I can't remember all that. I couldn't even name a, name a few of the animals, but Adam named them all. But there was one thing that puzzled Adam is that every animal that he named, every animal that he saw had a mate. The Bible says God created them male and female. You know, the orangutan, male orangutan had a female orangutan, and the female giraffe had a male giraffe. And, and so Adam was kind of checking this out, and he's thinking, something's not right here. And the Bible says the very first time that God looked on his creation and said, not good, is when God looked down and saw Adam by himself. He said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, that wasn't a surprise to God. God just wanted Adam to know he wouldn't be happy if he was by himself. Because there would be days when Eve would do something wrong and make him upset, and he would tempt to blame God. So God just let him have this little period of time without Eve so he would find out how unhappy he was if he would be alone. So the Scripture tells this, and this is really great. I'm going to mess with you a little bit here, so I hope you still love me when I get through. But this is just true. I'm just giving you the Hebrew on this. Um, the Bible says that God put Adam to sleep, performed surgery on him, took out a rib, and from that rib, God used a different word here than he used with making the rest of his creation. The Bible says God built Eve. So for all you guys who ever said a gal was built, you're more right than you know. <laughs> God built 
Eve. And he brought her to Adam. And there's no way to, to define the Hebrew. Basically, what Adam said was, wow. At last is the way our NLT trans, translates it. And here's what Scripture says. And I grew up with the King James Version that says that there was no help meet for Adam. And I, for years, I thought, what is a help meet? Is that something, you know? That's a very unhelpful translation. What it means is there was nobody eye to eye. There was nobody who corresponded to Adam. And the Bible means that in, a, in an emotional sense, in a spiritual sense, and in a physical sense. And no doubt, when Adam saw Eve, he realized she corresponded to him. And so it was great. And here's what the Bible says. And I talked about this last week. The Bible says they were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, what that simply means is they were fine with each other. They had perfect sex. They, they, they had no baggage. They had no issues. They had no shame. They had no guilt. They did not know a lot of the painful stuff that many of us have learned that's associated with sex. Because at that point, our first parents were not introduced to the dark side. They only knew good. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. They were there because God wants to give every human being a choice. And I know I could be freaking somebody right now because they're saying, I don't know about that Adam and Eve stuff. You know what? I, just between us, and I'm, I understand that you may think differently, and that's fine. But I can sure understand how we got here a lot more with one man and one woman than I can out of something happened in primordial ooze. I struggle with that a lot more. That takes me a lot more faith. Figuring out how we got here when we had a human father and human mother, that's not hard for me. But in any event, let's get back to the, to the story. What happened was this. There were two trees in the garden. One tree was the eating of that fruit represented knowledge of not only the good side but the dark side. And then the other tree was the tree of eternal life. And God made this real simple so that they, their choice would be simple. And God told them, leave the, leave the tree alone in the middle of the garden, which is knowledge of the dark side. And Eve, as you know, was tempted. She fell to that temptation. Adam, when he received the temptation, he did the same thing. And from that moment on, every bad thing entered into our world. By the way, wouldn't it be great to only know good and not know bad? Wouldn't it be great to know pleasantness and not know pain? Wouldn't it be great to know life and not know death? Wouldn't it be great to know health and not know what sickness is all about? That's what heaven's going to be like. And God's concern was that after they had eaten the fruit that would introduce the dark side, God's concern was that they would eat the tree of life and be locked into that forever. So God cast them out of the garden where they would no longer have access to it. And for the first time, they were outside the garden, and they weren't having perfect sex anymore. They felt guilt. They felt shame. All kinds of issues. We call that the fall. The fall. Um, and, of course, you know how the deal came down. I mean, we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, so we were born messed up. And in case any of us could say, well, that's not fair. Adam and Eve put me in a bad spot because now I have this dark side and I have all these proclivities towards sin. And I do no pain. I do no anger. I do no hate. I do no injustice. It's not fair for Adam and Eve to put me in that spot. If we ever get to that place, isn't it true that we've kind of messed up a little stuff on our own? Yeah. The whole human race fell at that point. Why do we use the term fall? Because God had installed Adam and Eve as, as basically vice regents over all of God's creation. That was the highest point that human beings would ever hold. And then they fell and they lost that position. I, maybe this will help explain it. A few years ago, long before the iPhone and stuff, Mary Alice won to PDA. And um, 
you know, she just, she, she's always never like really asking for stuff. I just kind of knew that was something she was looking for. So for her birthday, I bought her one. Really cute little PDA. It's kind of red and, you know, she could get on it and she could get the screen up and do email and send messages and check the weather forecast and, you know, get online. And it, it, she just loved it. And one day we were getting ready to eat over here on Rock Road and we got out of the car and she'd forgotten that she had her PDA in her lap. And then when she got out of the car, it fell out and it hit the asphalt. Now, what happens when you drop an expensive electronic on the ground and you pick it up? What's the first thing you want to know? Does it work? Does it still work? And she fired it up, and sure enough, it did work. But you know what? (laughs) It just was kind of funky after that. I mean, it, it picked odd times when to work and when not to work. You could get calls in, but you couldn't always get calls out. And then all of a sudden, the screen would just go blank or squiggled in lines and finally she just gave up on it see when it fell it still worked but it didn't work right and that's what happened to the human race that's what happened to men and women we fell when adam and eve sinned we're also part of that fall because we've added our own contributions to that sin and even though we still work we don't work right When God confronted Adam and Eve with what they'd done wrong, God said a couple things I think are really, really important to every human being in this room tonight, or this morning, whether you're male or female, and it's this. God said to them, first of all, what used to be easy is now going to become hard. He said to the woman, childbirth is going to get very hard now. He said to the man, the work that you've been doing and it's been so easy, now work is going to become difficult. So just keep that in your mind. God said to the first parents, what used to be easy is now going to become hard. Let me tell you something. When God created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, it was natural for Eve to respect her husband. It was natural for Eve to love, Adam to love and shelter and to care for his wife. But after the fall, what used to become easy, be easy, has now become hard. The second thing that God said to Adam and Eve is, is this. You guys are going to fight for position in the relationship. What used to be so easy, what used to come so natural, there wasn't a question about who's going to make the rules here. Because, you, you know, Adam loved Eve and Eve respected Adam. And it was just this great climate for making, for making decisions. God said, from now on, because you have introduced the dark side, you're going to jockey for position. And Eve's going to want to run things and Adam is going to run, want to run things. And here we are. I have no idea how much time later. But here we are. and We still have the same problems, don't we? We don't work right. It's the nature of men to be selfish. And every woman here says, amen. Just about every woman. It it is the nature for women to kind of like want to poke holes in your husband's male ego. That's because of the fall. We work, but we don't work right. And what had been perfect sex in a perfect garden now because we don't work right anymore now there are whole new problems in our relationship one problem is tension just stress let me me tell you something if you're having sex sexual problems in your in your marriage look to see what the emotional climate is is it positive or is it negative is there peace or is there constant tension? Because let me tell you something. Let me talk to every husband for a moment. I'm going to give you something that is worth all the money that you spent to get here today. Okay? If you're constantly putting down your wife and you're constantly finding fault with her 
Because now you don't have this love thing going because you, you fell with Adam and you're broken. You don't work quite, quite right. If you're constantly putting your wife down and you come in at 11 o'clock when all the lights are low, don't expect her to flip a switch and turn into one of the you know, hot movie stars that you see on television. Because, see, the emotional side of us, even more so for a woman than a man, but with a man as well, the emotional side of us does not respond well if there is a climate of tension. Ma'am, if you're constantly shooting your husband down, if you're constantly telling him what a failure he is and what he does forget to do and how he never puts the lid back on things and how he never does anything right, don't expect him to flip a switch and turn into one of the lovers that you see on the soaps. It's just not going to happen. Let let me read to you what (laughs) what a wise man once wrote. In, In Proverbs 21, verse 9, Solomon said, it is better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. This dude had a lovely home. He was king, man. He had a palace. He had multiple palaces. Do you know where he wrote this? He wrote it in the corner of an attic. (laughs) Can you see this picture of this king, this guy with royal robes and crowns on his head and bling all over. Can you see this guy in the corner of an attic trying to hide and writing, it is better to be in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome woman. Ten verses later, he wrote this. It is better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome complaining wife. (laughs) Why did he write that? She found him in the attic. Let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something. If you got a, a, a husband that doesn't love his wife and a wife who doesn't respect her husband and all this, yeah, 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 yelling and screaming and fussing, you're not going to have a great sex life. I don't care what books you've read on technique. I don't care what a great lover you are. You're not going to have a great sex life. Great sex happens in a garden. It happens in a pleasant place. So what happens if we don't? Well, first of all, there's going to be a climate of tension. What happens after the tension? If there's tension in a marriage relationship, heads up, everybody here, the next thing is to withdraw. What did Solomon say? We were laughing about it a few moments ago. Well, what did Solomon say? He said, it is better to be alone. If there's constant tension and fussing, that's what's going to be on a man's mind. That's what's going to be on a woman's mind. And I've had people come in and tell me this. If they're having trouble in their marriage, say, Mark, listen, I'm not have to find somebody else. I just want to get out of the hailstorm. And you can spell that however you want to. I just want to be alone. Now, most of us don't do that. Why? Because we have children. Because we have responsibilities. So here's what happens. There's this climate of tension because people are not loving and respecting each other. And the next thing there is this withdrawal. You know, every once in a while, I have a a wife tell me, well, I just have to put my husband in his place. Well, you can put him there, but when you go to look for him, he won't be there. I mean, he may be there physically, but he won't be there mentally and emotionally. And so what what happens is after there's this tension, there's a withdrawal that says, I'm going to like get out of here, but we have to stay because we have have important relationships that we share. And then the third thing is that we get into a 
sort of functionality. I go to work, I bring home a check, I do the housework, I chauffeur the kids. We're just living in the same house. That doesn't happen. Listen to me. I don't counsel as much as I used to, but I've been pastoring for 31 years, and I've counseled some wonderful, wonderful people. And you know what most people tell me when they're having trouble in their marriage? And I'd probably be the same thing if I had. Thankfully, I haven't, but if I had, I'd probably feel like this. I married the wrong person. I married the wrong person. I mean, sometimes, you know, in in the early days, of my counseling, I, I just would hear one side of the story, and I would think, man, this gal's married to the Antichrist. <laughs> Our executive pastor this morning reminded me of a quote by Adrian Rogers. He said, Adrian Rogers said, it's a thin pancake that doesn't have two sides. People say, I, I got the wrong person. And sometimes that's true. I mean, I have, I have talked to people, and after I listen to them, I think, you know, maybe they did for some reason get the wrong person. But here's the deal. In so many cases, we just don't understand how messed up we were with the fall. We work, but we don't work right. So how do we get back to the garden? How do we get back to, I know we're never going to have perfect sex, but how do we get back to great sex? How do, we, how, do, how do we in our marriages, and by the way, I know some of you are single here today, and you're saying, Mark, is this message for me? It is for you like it is for nobody else because you have a chance to get on the ground floor. A lot of us have got to work through a lot of stuff. So it's really, really important because it helps you to know who to look for. You say, Mark, I'm looking for somebody hot. <laughs> could, could I just give you a law of life in thermodynamics? Hot cools. <laughs> you would be so much better off finding somebody pleasant. I mean, a guy who will love you. I don't care if he looks like a mud fence. If he loves you, that's great. A, a, a gal who will respect you, even if you're not worth it, which no man really is. But that's the deal. That's the deal. How do we get back to the garden? I want to give you five things. I don't like lists, but there are five I just really need to give you. Okay, Here, here's the first one. Because many times I've talked to husbands and wives who had issues, often sexual issues. And, and I've given a little talk that I just gave to you. And so <laughs> here's the question that comes to me sometimes. Who goes first? Who goes first? I will if he will. If she'll start respecting me, I'll start loving her. Now, that can keep you busy for years. I mean, you can just like draw a chalk line in your living room, and you stand on one side, and he stands on the other side, and that will mess you up forever waiting for somebody to go first. Now, let me just tell you what the best thing is here today. If you're here with your wife or with your husband, and a lot of you guys will not remember this. This will tell you how old I am. I used to love this movie called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You remember when uh, Paul Newman and Bob Redford were up there and, you know, it's like, oh, we better jump together and the jump may kill us and all that kind of thing. Hey, the best thing you can do is jump together. Let me tell you something. If you're here today and I can talk to a man, if I can talk to a woman and you can grab hold of this and realize that we don't work well because we're broken in the fall. And if you get, you get your wife's hand, you get your husband's hand and you decide to, decide to jump together, I'll tell you, you'll have a kind of relationship that'll steam up the mirrors. 
But let's say it doesn't happen. Let's say you're married to a stubborn man. (laughs) I am. You say, let's say you're married to a stubborn woman. Somebody will say, well, I am. I think we're all stubborn, don't you think? We tend to do wrong and lock it in. Somebody's got to go first. Guys, this isn't profound, but it's real. It's real important. What I've discovered is very, very, very few people have bad marriages. People either have a bad cycle or they have a good cycle. Because in a, in a marriage that's not working, one person does something that's bad, which leads the other person to respond, and they just get this downward spiral going on. Here is a man who doesn't love his wife, very clearly. And by the way, love is a choice. And here's a man that's just, you know, he's, he's selfish, he's just living for himself. And his wife says, I can't respect that kind of guy. And so she treats him with disrespect. So what does he do? He withdraws even more. And he's even more in love with himself. And he thinks now that he has a good reason because his wife doesn't respect him. And because he gets worse, she says, well, I sure can't respect this guy. I'm going to have to, like, hit him even harder. And so they have this downward spiral going on. Not a bad marriage, just a bad spiral. What happens in a good marriage? You have flawed people. But here is a man who says, you know what? My wife can be a difficult person sometimes but I'm going to love her anyway. And I'm going to let her know how valuable she is. And, I'm going to, and by the way, here's the thing. Let me just stop for a moment. You know, men and women are oh, just wired differently. And, and it's so important, that, and I'll talk about this in just a moment. It's so important that we really tap into to who they are. And so here's a man who says, I'm going to love my wife anyway. I'm going to show her I love her. And all of a sudden she's saying, hey, you know what? That guy, he's different. Hey, when it, here's what I hear so many times. The devil is just so smart, and he messes us up so much. And i got to hurry. Man, i got five minutes here. The, the, what the devil gets us saying is, you know what? I, I, we, when, we were, when we were, you know, dating and stuff, we had this great relationship. Then we got married and just went in a tank. Used to be good. It's not good anymore. Wouldn't it be great if you're in a marriage and you're saying, well, you know what? It, it was down here at this level, but now we're up here. She's not the girl I married. Man, she is so much more awesome. He's not the guy I married. He's gone way beyond my expectations. That can happen if you get the spiral going up. So number one, let me, let me give you the rest of those real quickly because we are running out of time. Number one, here's the thing. Go first. And say, well, I don't think she deserves it. Okay, I'll agree with you on that perhaps. You go first. Because somebody has got to stop the downward spiral. And the person who goes first is going to need patience. Because what you're going to do sometimes, you know, you'll do something that's the right thing to do. And you won't get the credit that you feel that you deserve for it. And so you'll say, well, hey, this thing doesn't work. Be patient, but go first. Number two. I never know quite how to preach this. Let me do the best I can. Make it easy for your husband or wife to do the number one thing they're supposed to do to meet your needs. You know, if you're, a, if you're a man, you can either make it easy or hard for your wife to respect you. If you're a jerk and you make it hard, she's, she may go first, but she's going to have a really hard time. So for every Christian man here today, yeah, the Bible says for your wife to respect you, but let me just challenge you, make it easy to respect. Be the kind of guy she can respect. If you're a lady here today, make it easy for him to love you. That's number two. I have so much more I want to say, but i got to rush on. Number three. There's just three letters in number three. Ask. Ask. 
As I said a few moments ago, there is no man who understands how a woman thinks, and there's no woman who understands how a man thinks. We all have needs. Some of you guys have sexual needs. Maybe some of you ladies have sexual needs that aren't being fulfilled. Maybe you have emotional needs that aren't being fulfilled. What is it that we do? What is this dumb thing that we do? We send out signals. Dumb signals. And the worst part about it is we send out signals to somebody who doesn't think like we think. So they not only don't pick it up, they don't even understand what we're doing. And then when our signals are not picked up, we get mad. Stop sending out dumb signals. Here's a man who's saying, well, you know, my wife just doesn't, you know, she's she just not there for me sexually, so I just freeze up. And I figure that she'll get the message soon enough. If I don't talk to her, she'll know something's wrong. Okay, might work one or two times. And then after that, you know what she's going to say? He's just pouting again. <laughs> Here's a wife who's saying, you know, he's not meeting my emotional needs. So I'm going to send him signals. Ladies, let me just tell you something. Just between you and me, let me tell you something. He couldn't pick your signals up if you broadcast them on ESPN. <laughs> and especially when it comes to sex, because men and women are just so different. You know, I mean, ladies, let me tell you something. Your guy is never going to say, oh, it's such a beautiful morning. Why don't we go have some tea at the tea room and then go check out some antique shops and then let's just come home and cuddle. You either got the weirdest man on the planet or the smartest man on the planet. I'm I'm not sure how that is. And guys, you know what? What what sometimes women don't understand is women. Guys are just like wired for sex, and it's visual, you know. And you know that's why, ladies, just keeping it real here. Um, this is why we tell people you probably need to check your kids in before you come, okay? <gasps> Do everybody take a b- deep breath? That is why when you get out of the shower, he has eyes only for you. And when he gets out of the shower, the only thing you're thinking is he's dripping on the floor. <laughs> so what do you do? Hey, what if sex is missing in your life? You ask. What do you do if intimacy is missing in your life? Ask. Here's why we don't like to ask. Because it makes us feel humble. Our pro- See, we were broken in the fall. We were messed up. We work, but we don't work right. We want to say, if she loved me, she'd be here. If he loved me, he would be here for me. I have two minutes. I got to get finished here, okay? <laughs> Number four, love and respect must be on their terms. If I love my wife, she's got to feel loved. It's not enough for me to say, I decide what love looks like. Love's not love until she feels the love. Gals, love, respect's not respect till he feels the respect. God, through the years, I have talked with so many people who, and here's the thing, they just get like right up to the point. They understand everything I've said up to this point. They get right up there, and here's the thing. They're saying, okay, now, I need to respect my husband. Okay, I'm willing to do X, Y, and Z. To me, this is what respect feels like. This is what respect should be. I love my wife. You know, and, and I'm going to start doing this X, Y, and Z, and that, that's what love feels like to me, and I'm going to do that, and then, by George, she better respond. Love's not love until it feels like love, and respect's not respect until it feels like respect.
Number five. You, listen, guys, I've already given you so many good... This is so good. This would be good enough to keep us here another hour. But we have another service, so we can't do that. Oh, man. I'm not suggesting you get a tattoo, but this is probably one you should... If you ever get a tattoo, put it in a place that's easily covered up. <clears throat> and these are the words. If you're married, assume the best. Assume the best. Have I ever gotten agitated at Mary Alice? Oh, yeah. Maybe I felt like something she did or didn't do. Has she ever been agitated with me? <laughs> Let me tell you something about the next time your wife or your husband agitates you. And, and who knows? Maybe the answer to this question will be yes. And if it is, you have a whole different kind of situation. But here's the one thing I know. If I could back away from my emotion when Mary Alice agitates me, I have to know she didn't intend to. That's just not her. Sometimes she agitates me because she just doesn't think like I think. Or she thinks she knows how I think, but not quite dialed right in. But the one thing I know is that she didn't get up in the morning and say, how can I mess up Mark's day? She gets up in the morning praying for me. You know, the years have brought at least a little bit of wisdom in my heart, in my life. I've learned when something like that happens to think, I don't think she intended to agitate me. I don't think he intended to slight me. Yeah, he, that was insensitive and unthinking. Now, if you get into an argument, and that's a, whole other, that's a subject for another thing, because oftentimes we say things that are calculated to do damage. But I'm just leaving that aside for a moment. I'm just saying, when, when you're, you just assume the best about your wife. You assume the best about your husband. I've got to read you one scripture, and then I will be through. In Song of Solomon, there's this little dialogue between a man and a woman, and they're really in love, and they are steaming up the glass. And so they're getting ready to get together. And so the, the lady is saying something to him, and he's going to say something back to her, and this is in Song of Solomon 2, verse 10. Here, here's the woman. She said, my lover said to me, rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. Look, the winter has passed, and the rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up. See, we've got a garden here. The season of singing birds has come, and the cooing of turtle doves fills the air. The fig trees are forming young fruit, and the fragrant grapevines are blossoming, blossoming. Rise up, my darling. Come away, my fair one. Now listen to what he says. I just love this. He says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant, and your face is lovely. If you want to have great sex, there has to be pleasantness. A man who loves his wife and a wife who respects her husband. When you get that upward spiral going, it will transform your sex life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be here today. I pray your Holy Spirit will just talk to us and help us to understand what we need to understand. Help every husband, every wife, help every single person who's trying to find a person to live his or her life with. God, just help us. It's a tough world, and we need you. Lord, I pray that you'll help some of us here today who have just in the last few moments made the decision to go first. 
Give us courage, Lord. And we'll pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's still pray with me just another minute. This, what I've talked about, you can't do by yourself. I mean, you can employ these things and, and it will help, but I'm telling you, the only way you can live the kind of life that will make you the right kind of man, the right kind of woman, is to have Jesus Christ in your life and you have a power that's outside of yourself. If you've never invited him in, I want to encourage you to do that right now. I'm going to pray a, a prayer, and even though it'll be short and brief, if you repeat these words after me and you mean them from your heart, God will hear you because the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here we go. Jesus, I know I've done wrong, but I believe you died in my place to take my sins away. I believe your blood paid for all my wrongdoing. I believe you arose from the grave and that you're listening to me right now. I ask you to forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, 20 people prayed to receive Christ last weekend that we know of in these services. If you just prayed to receive Christ, that's the most important decision you've ever made. And I'm just going to talk real fast because I'm going to be like the guy at the end of the commercial, even though this is not a commercial, okay? I have something free I want to give you. It won't cost you a penny. It's just if you prayed to receive Christ, we have a, a little packet for you. It's got some DVDs and some information on what to do next. It will not cost you a thing. We're not after your money. We just want you to know God. So if you pray with me to receive Christ, you have a part of your worship folder that's detachable. So if you prayed to receive Christ, would you just detach that? Put your name and address on there if you want me to mail this to you. You can check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. And you can take the card and drop it in the offering plate or in the boxes at the back doors, the bottom of the staircase. I'll mail it to you this week. If you're like me, you don't like to wait for anything, you don't have to. I'm pointing right through those middle doors, right beyond those two middle doors. There's two areas called guest services and new spring store. If you want this, if you pray to receive Christ today and you want this, just bring your card back. You don't have to give them a talk or anything. Just say, I pray with Mark to receive Christ. They'll give you this and you take it home with you. Next weekend, secret number three. 